0: If you got your Bibles, hopefully you know this by now. We are in 1 Peter 2, and we are in our uh, right in the middle of our uh, series on our family values. These family values are the things that are like the things that hold this family together um, at this table, so to speak. And so, if we're at a table and it's dinner time, and, and, and we're just kind of listening to the things that are important to this family. And so, over the last two weeks, now going on three. We've talked about our first two values, right? The first one being gospel-centered, that it's not just about the doorway into faith, it is the path of faith, of faith and repentance and faith and repentance and on repeat, repentance and faith, repentance and faith. Then we talked about a faithful family and didn't, Josue, do a great job of inviting us into the responsibility of minding the gap, in so many different ways. And now this week we have opportunity to be challenged and encouraged by God's word as we look at what it means to be a priesthood. You are a priest. Is that what you think of when you think of priests? What do you think of when you think of priests? Part of my prep this week was talking to my soon-to-be sixth grader about what a priest is. And I was like, hey, what do you think of when you think of a priest? And immediately she went to what most of us probably go to, Excuse me, And that is a man, not a woman, a man in a collar or a robe on a stage or in a room um, of of Methodist or Episcopalian or Catholic or Lutheran or many, many other uh, sorts of denominations. And, And that may be your understanding of a priest. And what I challenged Reese to do was to go look in the mirror. If I didn't do this out loud, I meant to in my mind. But I go look in the mirror and that person is a priest as much as, if not more, than anybody else on a stage or in a robe or who wears a collar. The Bible will say that you are a priest. That's challenging for many of us. I pray that it's also encouraging for all of us. What does that mean that we are a priest? Well, we just read two, actually four verses that tell us about our priesthood, Um, But what is a priest? If we look at the Old Testament, the, the priests of the Old Testament really served two functions. One, they tended to the temple. And so they were kind of on temple maintenance, so to speak. And so if you think about these things, think about these in New Testament terms. If the Old Testament priests were there to tend to the temple, what does a New Testament priest, what would then you need to do as a priest Tend to the temple, and most of you probably are thinking, oh, the body is the temple, and that's true. But also, we, as we come to him as living stones, are being built up into a temple of God. That's all of us. So how would we, as priests, tend to the temple of God? We would encourage one another, would we not? Think about this room. I I was struggling with illustrations uh, for today's gathering and today's sermon, so I don't have a ton, but the Lord gave us one. Right? Like the power shuts on and off so it didn't kill our day but it also gave us enough excitement to be like, oh, this is gonna be interesting and what will happen next? You know what happened next? The priests of God used their priesthood. And Matt Peterson jumped on the stage and Eddie Krusel, and, and, and Nate Lee all of a sudden you start to use their gifts and what they know about something that I don't know about because I started to go up on the stage and I was like, yeah, I don't know anything about anything. So I'm just gonna stay back here and go, good job, guys. Well done, well done. That's the priesthood of God using their gifts and their abilities to be able to build up the body of Christ. That's temple maintenance in so many different ways. So that's one way. The Old Testament priests would also serve as a mediator. And in two ways did they serve as mediator. Number one, they were a mediator from God to the people. They represented God to the people. New Testament priests, you represent God to the people. Not only do you bear the image of God in your makeup as a human, but now you've got the spirit of God who lives in you, and you represent the king of the universe, when we talked about this last night in our um, leadership meeting that we had for neighborhood group leaders, my wife looked at me and she goes, Whoa, that's a lot. That mean, like, that's a ton of weight on us. If we're not careful, we can bear responsibility way too much. And instead, the spirit of God is bearing that responsibility in us and saying, no, no, there's so much more joy in this. So we bear the responsibility of representing God to people, and then we also bear the responsibility of representing people unto God. That's what the Old Testament priests did. They took sacrifices, they would vet the sacrifices. No one, that one has blemishes. You gotta take that one back to the farm, bring your best, right? That's what a priest would do. If you read the Old Testament prophets, they start getting into trouble in the nation of Israel when the priests start to just accept all kinds of sacrifices, And if we bring that to the New Testament, it's no longer are we vetting sacrifice, why? Because the perfect sacrifice has been made for us. Instead, we're now interceding for our brethren, bringing them before the throne of God and asking God for mercy on behalf of our friends and family. And so we tend to the temple, but we also represent God in those two different ways. So that's what a priest is all about, right? But that's not what this passage, the big deal about this passage is something a little bit different. And so what's the big deal? Number one, as we think about priesthood, there is a privilege inherent in being able to represent the living God. And the first privilege is that we, as priests, have the privilege of access. You did not have the access that you have. We take advantage of this and kind of treat it as ho-hum because it's familiar. And when familiar things become too familiar, we become entitled, and they all of a sudden become a right. We see this all throughout our culture in all kinds of different ways. For us, as Christians, we treat the privilege of access to God like a right, and it's not a right. It is a a high honor that we would be invited to have full access to God. If you've forgotten, like me, if you've forgotten the high honor and the privilege of having full access to God, turn with me in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 19. Scroll there, turn there. You need to mark out Exodus 19 in your Bible. Right before Moses gives chapter upon chapter upon chapter of the law, something magnificent happens. The first thing is that God declares that his people will be a kingdom of priests. What a beautiful statement in the Old Testament that everyone... The kingdom will be made of a bunch of priests and a holy nation. But that's not actually what I want to read. I want to start in Exodus 19, and I want us to read verses 16 through 25, and then keep your finger there. We're going to jump to Exodus 20. I want you to see the access that we have, and that which was once far off is now near to us. You there? On your phone? or in like old school paper Bible. They still make these. I don't know if you know that. <laughs> Exodus 19, verse 16. On the morning of the third day, I want you to just put yourself there. You just, you, you just, you just came out of Egypt. You're wondering what's gonna happen. You're just you're disoriented and confused about life. And I want you to just sit at the base of Mount Sinai. It's smelly. The lambs are bleeding in the background. There's all kinds of people here that you're like, wow, I realized that we had grown a ton over the generations. I didn't realize it was this many people, hundreds of thousands of people in the desert wondering what's going to happen next. And on the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightning and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. You feeling this? So then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln and the whole mountain trembled greatly. Put yourself there. Smells, it smells like burnt ash. You're wondering, am I gonna die right now? And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke and God answered him in thunder. And the Lord came down on Mount Sinai. Where? Where did he come down? To the top. He came down to the top of the mountain. And the Lord called to Moses, and Moses went up to the top of the mountain. And the Lord said to Moses, go down and warn the people lest they break through to the Lord to, the, to look and many of them perish. The curiosity of the Israelites is going to kill them. If they try to get up here, I'm too holy for them. They will die. Don't let them break in, Moses. Verse 22. Verse Also, though, let the priests who come near to the Lord consecrate themselves. They need to make themselves holy through the ritualistic laws, lest the Lord break out against them. And Moses said to the Lord, Lord, the people cannot come up to the Mount Sinai, for you yourself warned us, saying, set limits around the mountain and consecrate it. And the Lord said to them, Go down, Moses, and come up, bringing Aaron with you. But do not let the priests and the people break through to come to the Lord, lest he break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and he told them these things. Who's allowed into the presence of God? Moses. Can the people come? Can you go? No. In this setting, I'm the only one that's allowed to go. Me and Aaron, literally. <laughs> right? Right? That's it, that's all that's allowed to go up into the smoke of God and ascend up to the top of the mountain and then you're not allowed to come near and then we're gonna come down and we're gonna tell you what God said. Switch over to Exodus 20. Look at there, look at what happens. 20 verse 18. So God goes up, so excuse me, Moses goes up to the top of the mountain, God meets him there and he gives him the 10 commandments. That's basically what you miss in Exodus 20, the first part, and then this happens. Verse 18, now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid. Maybe the biggest understatement in all of Exodus right there. And trembled and they stood far off and said to Moses, you, you Moses, you speak to us because we're gonna die if we go near him. Moses said to the people, don't fear, for God has come to test you. That the fear of him may be before you and that you may not sin. Oh, and that just cozied up all the people of God. The people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. God's great invitation for the Old Testament people was to fear him. That they may not sin. We need to hear that today. We need to hear that, that the fear of God is still applicable to us. I asked somebody earlier, how you doing? And they said, better than I deserve. Why is that such an easy statement to be true about? Because he could kill us right now. And be totally justified in doing so. And yet... We breathe. We breathe fresh air. We don't breathe polluted or or intoxicated air. We breathe fresh air on the earth that he's given us by his grace. Not only that, but we have... Literally, knowledge and faith that our eyes have been opened up to see and believe the Son of God has come down for us. No longer, friends, was, is this one priesthood, these one or two people who were invited to go to the top of the mountain, that's not the way this works anymore. So when we talk about priesthood, you have the same access that Moses had that Aaron had, you know, the one that was like, okay, well, everybody else can't come, but you two can come. That's you. Reese, that's you. You're invited to the mountain. And guess, here's the, like the, the, one of the best news. You don't have to go to the top. Because God, in His beauty and in His grace, didn't just come to the top of the mountain. He came down all the way to earth. Ephesians 4, he says says that He descended into the lower regions of the earth. He came and He was a baby, completely dependent upon His creation. And then in His adulthood, what did He do? He ascended a mountain. And he died for us. And when he died for us, the temple, what happened at the temple? When the crucifixion happened at the temple, the the curtain that separated the Holy of Holies from everywhere else was torn from top to bottom. Because God is at the top of that thing, ripping it from top to bottom. So as to do what? To invite us into the place that no one else could go to. But Jesus went. And he sacrificed himself so that we would have access to the God of thunder, and not, not Thor, don't go there, the God of thunder in Exodus 19. Way more powerful than Thor could ever even dream about being. And he says, you come near, yes, be afraid, but don't be afraid that you're not good enough anymore because my son Jesus was good enough for you. Now you come near, you who are washed with the blood of the Lamb. That's the truth of being a priest. That's the truth of Exodus as much as it is 1 Peter 2. We are a holy priesthood, made holy in the sight of God because Jesus has gone into that curtain, taken away all barriers. And what would happen as a result? Hebrews chapter 4 says this, verse 16. It's gonna come up on the screen. He says this, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. You see this access that you now have? Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we might receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. It is a throne of grace. What will we do with such access to the throne of grace? What have we done? What did we do yesterday and the day before? What will we do tomorrow with this kind of access to the throne of grace that promises to give you help? What will we do? History is always a great indicator of the future. What did you do last week with the access to the throne of grace? It'll tell you what you're going to do tomorrow. Unless today matters. Unless you came into a gathering of the saints and believers because you want not just to be inspired, you want to be transformed into the image of Jesus. Then tomorrow can look different just want us to let this sink in because I think our biggest problems, whether it be anxiety or depression or like a lack of, of motivation in life, you name the problem. I think it, most of it, now don't hear me say all of it because you can't fix all of life by just praying and spending time in the, Lord, in the Lord's word, although you can fix a lot. But there are some things that just need more than that. And I don't mean to be like insufficient on prayer or the word of God, but we need community And some of us need the constant reminder again and again and again of professionals or our brethren to be able to help us in our time of need. That's a lot of what this throne of grace is about. But most of us, I think most of our problems can be boiled down to a lack of taking advantage of this access, both in prayer and in God's word. Like, we never graduate from those foundational basics of the Christian life. Submitting yourself to God in prayer is another way of saying, this doesn't depend on me. Submitting ourselves to God's word is another way of saying, I'm not the authority. And the opposite is also true. For those of us who neglect the access to the King of kings, Lord of lords, Prince of peace, creator of all things, we deny that access or we don't take advantage of it. What we're really saying is, your power's good, Jesus, you know, creator of all things, sustainer of heaven and earth, but my power's greater. And if we don't go and submit ourselves to God's word and instead approach it like Lubies, which apparently doesn't exist anymore, or Piccadilly, which doesn't exist anymore, but Ch- Chipotle exists and Freebirds exists and Salada exists, and we turn God's word into the latest buffet line of pay- picking and choosing whatever it is that we want. And instead, would we be a people that submit to God's word as the ultimate authority of all of life so I don't get to pick and choose and leave the vegetables but take the fruit? We, as believers, not Hindus, not Christians, not, pfft, hello, not Hindus, not Muslims, not Buddhists, not Jews, they didn't have access like we do. Not agnostics, not atheists, not your best morally good neighbor who you can't figure out why they don't need Jesus to make their life work, that guy either, or girl. They don't have access to the king of kings like Christians do? What will we do with this unhindered access? Will we treat it like a throne of grace or will we treat it like a throne of neglect? And here's what I mean by a throne of neglect because I think there's two ways to see this coin of neglect. Number one, we have neglected the throne of grace. We treat it like a throne of neglect. We have neglected, and it's subtle, right? And this is how this looks like. So most of us will be like, oh, I don't do that. I would never say I do that. But when we over-depend on Moses to go up the hill, when we over-depend on a pastor's ability to preach, when we over-depend on our favorite Bible study leader, on our favorite podcast, on our favorite social media scrolling, on our favorite when we overdepend on Moses to ascend the hill and receive God's word and then come back down and tell us in three easy steps how to make this better, we have totally outsourced our priesthood. And we've totally negated our identity as the holy and royal priesthood of God. Now, that seems like probably not a smart statement for a guy like me to make. I get paid to go up the mountain, right? In so many ways, I do. And so, if you go up the mountain, what will that do for my job? I don't know, but let's find out. Like, let's find out. I think it's going to make me a lot busier because you're going to get yourself into trouble, and you're going to be like, "Bro, I don't know what I just did." However, the Holy Spirit told me to do X, Y, or Z, and I did it, and. Like three people just came to know Jesus and I don't know what to do next. Well, let's get him in line for baptism, bro. Let's do this thing. Now all of a sudden we're doing baptism classes like it's going out of business because you guys are doing the thing that you're called to do within your priesthood. Not just here on a Sunday morning, not just figuring out AV or doing the road crew and turning this place into a sanctuary. This place doesn't look like a sanctuary Monday to Friday. Some of you would argue that it doesn't now, but we would say it does. <laughs> That's not what this is about. This is about you as a stay-at-home mom being a priest when you change diapers and clean up all kinds of stuff. And your husband comes home and goes, what in the world happened in this place today? you would be like, <laughs> nope. You're gonna be a priest, and you're gonna minister to the family. And I've been ministering all day. Now you're gonna minister to me. Starbucks is calling as stay-at-home moms, as go-out-to-work dads, as accountants, as teachers in the oil field, whatever it is that you do, you are a priest. You have access to God just like Moses, if not better. You don't have to go up the hill. He came down for you. So we neglect this throne of grace by over-dependence on other people to do the hard work for us the, the, the church has trained you to do this. We've programmed event after event and put Bible study after Bible study as if to say activity, busyness, and knowledge are gonna be the thing that brings the kingdom. And that's not how this thing works. Look around. It's not how this thing works. The cloud has descended for us. Jesus has descended for us. The presence of God has come and now been inside of all of us. And so I just ask you this question. For those of us that neglect the throne room, how would your spiritual life change if you accessed God on a regular basis? And you asked him, what am I supposed to do? What do I need to know? I'm lacking in these things. Where do I go for these things? You would probably start to find that God is a lot better than Google. How about your marriage? What about how you, how, you, how you parent? You have the spirit of wisdom in you. You know, the, 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 the wise God that created all things to work together. That's the spirit that's in you. How would you know what to do with parenting or how to love your wife or how to submit to your husband? We know these things. We don't need another sermon on these things. We just gotta do it. Well, how? Well, let's ask the spirit of wisdom. What does my wife need today? What does my husband need today? What does my daughter or my son, what do they need for, what do they need to hear from me as a dad or a mom? How would your neighborhood group change if you quit depending on others to feed you? Here's a picture of the American church that I'm praying we're not. But it's this picture of baby birds in a nest. <whistles> That's what your baby birds sound like. That's what my baby birds sound like. And they're waiting for mama bird to come over and regurgitate whatever they just ate so the baby birds can be full. We have access to the throne of grace. Let us not wait for a Moses to come down as a mama bird and feed us, but let us go up. Let us truly go up. We have access. We sometimes neglect the throne room of grace, sometimes we think the throne room of grace has neglected us, that perhaps you've been praying for things for a long time and that God has not answered you. What do you do when you're frustrated and you think, man, I've been praying, I've been praying, I've been praying, and there's just no answer. Perhaps God in his infinite wisdom has a better plan for you. Perhaps he loves you more than you might think than to give you all the desires of your heart. Maybe the desires of your flesh. Sometimes those are hard to discern. And he loves you way too much to constantly give you candy. Your teeth are gonna rot out if you keep eating that candy. He ain't giving you any more candy. Moses gave me two pieces of gum this morning. I don't know how he got a pack of gum, but he had one at nine in the morning. We all know how they got a pack of gum, all right? <laughs> Perhaps God has a different story to write in the chapters of our life. What will we do? Will we try to power through or we depend on the wise and mighty God, the author of all stories of his story? Will he write a better story in our lives? Will we commit to being with God? Will we commit to surrender to God's word? Will we commit to pray and depend on him? That's point one. Now point two. This access will give way to a second privilege as priests, and that is we have the privilege of ministry. This isn't just about access, it's about action. Right? We have a have a priesthood um, right here in verses five and nine. I'll read first Peter five, excuse me, first Peter two, five and nine again. I want you to hear it again. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through, Christ Jesus, through Jesus Christ. And then in verse nine, but you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people here for his own possession. And he goes on to talk about proclaiming the excellencies of him who brought you out of the darkness and into his marvelous light. That's a missional living sermon. That's next week. Before we get there, we are a holy priesthood, a royal priesthood. Friends, just as Chris prayed and said earlier, this is not optional. This is a part of who God declares you to be. I'm under the impression that Christians would have a lot more joy in their life when they live out of the identity that God has given them. So we talk a lot about family, missionary, uh, servant. What about priest? What about ambassador? Okay, those are also a part of our identity that God says you're a temple. You're also God's possession. What does it look like for us to live out of this identity as, a, as priests, as we minister to one another? You and I do not have a priesthood because we went to seminary or have a Bible college degree or because we get paid to do ministry or because there's a stage to stand on. Instead, it is every entrepreneur and accountant and teacher and whatever it is that you do professionally, you do so as a priest, a representative of God on the earth. And so whatever it is that you get a paycheck from or pleasure from, you are priest first, professional second. Is that how you view work? Is that how you view staying at home? Is that how you view being a husband and a dad? Priest first, professional second. And it is on his authority in which you minister. You are a part of the royal priesthood. You're a part of God's kingly priesthood that we would be a people that represent the highest authority upon the earth. So here's what I wanna do as we get closer to the end here. I want to read three, excuse me, two passages. I want to read you two passages. One from Romans 12 and one from 1 Corinthians 12. These passages, these are only two of the four really in the New Testament. I would implore you to go home this week and read Ephesians 4, 1 Peter 4, Romans 12, and 1 Corinthians 12. Because in those passages you will find the beautiful and diverse giftings of the Holy Spirit that if you call upon the name of Christ, you have. And we're gonna read two of them. Just portions. And I want us to do something different. Because here's what the thing is about priests. Priests isn't just someone with a microphone or a stage, and to prove that, priests also are administering God's word to one another. I want us to read out loud these passages. So the first one is Romans 12, three. It's gonna come up on the stage, on the stage, on the screen. That would be weird. Romans 12, let's go to three. And we're just gonna read the first, all the way until the first part of six and it'll end with let us use them because then it goes into all the different gifts and if we did that, we'd be here for a while. But look, let's read this out loud. Can we read this out loud? For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, Our one body in Christ, and individually members of one another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. Let us not think more highly than we ought to think, but with sober judgment. When we don't use our gifts, we're prideful when we use them to build ourselves up, we're prideful. Let us be a people that instead, with the measure of faith that God has assigned. You don't like it that you're a prophet, but God said you're a prophet. It's the measure of faith that he, in his wisdom, gave. You don't like that you have the, the, the gift of service? You wanna be on the stage? But God designed you to like, serve with your hands, praise the Lord. The last thing we need is like dogs trying to be cats. It just doesn't work. You were created one way. Let's keep reading 1 Corinthians 12. Let's go read this together. Ready? 12 verse four. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, But it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. One more. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit. Why? For the common good. It's for us that God has so gifted you. So when we withdraw, we don't gain access, we don't take advantage of access, we never ask God how to be used in this world We take our little brick of our life, the living stone that God's created us to be, and we take it out of the temple. And you by yourself can't do anything. You can't defend against the enemy. There's no room for the Spirit of God to dwell in there. You just took your living stone out of the temple. And instead, God is saying to all of us, according to 1 Peter, that we are living stones being built together into a temple of God. That means we need each other. That means we create nothing of our own. But, I mean, could you imagine someone with the gift of teaching? What does he do without other people? I, I, I teach to my steering wheel. Did that this morning. There was a couple of people that drove by. That was awkward. hey. I teach to myself, I guess, but if there's no one else there, how can I use my gift for the common good to build up one another? How can you use your gift for the common good to build up one another? Not just here in neighborhood groups, in your wherever you may live, right? Wherever you may work, you're there as a priest of God, a representative on the earth. So my last question is this, and then for sure we're gonna end right before we do communion. What's your excuse? Can't be ignorance, not now. Is it because you're a perfectionist? It's because you wanna just have just all the right angles to your living stone so that you can fit just in all the right little spots and isn't that what mortar's for? Because it doesn't fit right? You don't serve, you don't do X, Y, or Z, you're not hospitable, you, whatever, because you're perfectionist. Jesus is perfect, you're not. So we repent of trying to be perfect and we believe that he was perfect on our behalf again and again as perfectionists. Perfectionism is your enemy. This is a fallen world, it'll never be perfect. Not until he comes back, makes it perfect. Jesus is the only one perfect. It's because you say, I don't know, I'm not called to do that, good news. You are chosen by God to be a priest. If you say, well, who am I to be chosen by God? Well, you are a royal priesthood. You're part of the kingly order. Maybe you're thinking, man, I already do too much. Well, maybe it's time to pare back on things that don't matter. Maybe Netflix really isn't that important. Or whatever it is that's keeping you from access. Maybe your emails or social media Really y'all isn't that important? It's going to take you away from access to the King of Kings. Who cares? Delete it. Sign out. Be done with all the red numbers. They don't give you life. Apparently I'm hitting on a nerve. We are a living stone being built together into the temple of God. And perhaps you hear the red number comment and you're like, I don't want to do that. You are not your own. You are possessed a people for his own possession. You're his. He bought you. He purchased you. The, The precious blood of the lamb purchased you. surely, Surely we can obey him. If not him, then who? Surely we can. So if you don't know where to start, if all this is a bit overwhelming, may I ask you to just go back and read these passages that we talked about. Ephesians 4, 1 Corinthians 12, 1 Peter 4, Romans 12. If you read that and spend some time in full access with God. And you just ask the spirit of wisdom, how have you created me? Am I a prophet? Am I a teacher? Am I gifted to lead? Am I gifted to serve? How am I gifted? Am I gifted to speak in tongues or with prophecy or interpretation or healing? It's not just those little things. It's also the big things. How is it that I'm gifted? And perhaps if it's still not clear, there's a gift test that we literally have had on our app for years. It's free. Pull up our app. Go to the coming up tab. Scroll down. It says spiritual gift test with a little flame and fire. It's free. Take it. Go to your neighborhood group and go, okay, I got these gifts. I don't know what to do with them. Your neighborhood group will go, me either. Let's figure it out together. Some of our friends are here as they're missionaries in um, a different country. Let's just say they're in a closed country. Let's just say it's on the other side of the world. And um, I would bet that as they do church there, they would affirm this statement, "We don't need more stages or lights or microphones or professionals. That's not the way the kingdom's going to break out. The kingdom is going to break out through priests, using their gifts and their personality and all that God has created them to be to just be available as God would have you be available." And do what it is that God has you to do. We are priests, ministers, sons and daughters of the God of all things. Let us act like it. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for this morning that you have so written these things down in your word that we might be renewed by them. Would you renew our minds, renew our hearts, put our hands and feet to action this week to be priests to our husbands and wives, to our children, to our parents, to our coworkers and neighbors, To ourselves, may we be kind to ourselves as we try to figure this stuff out. Holy Spirit, speak to us. You're a living God and you live within us. We wanna be a people that are dependent upon your voice and it's hard to do that when we can't hear you. So whatever noise is drowning out your whispers, Would you just let them fall by the wayside, whatever distractions are calling out to us? Would you let those things fall into the bucket of unimportant and unurgent? But only now, beginning now, may we be a people that take advantage of the access that we have to you. O Holy Spirit, minister to our hearts, testify the truth to us. We are your sons and daughters. We're no longer slaves. We're not slaves to sin. We're not at the mercy and the power of Satan. We don't have to obey every fleshly desire that we have in us, and the world has no power over us. Because he who is in us, oh man, you're greater than the world. Remind us of these things and remind us of the world around us that needs this. They're not okay. No matter how big their smile, no matter how busy their life, things are not okay. So would you help us be available as your priests, be active as your priests, and engage as your priests. We love you. We're grateful for these things and so much more. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.